Father, we just thank you, we praise you, we worship you, Lord. We thank you, thank you, Father, thank you. We come at this time into thy hands, O Lord, and I speak your peace into every heart, your strength, your courage, your boldness, wherever your people are, Lord, especially in nations where there is so much turmoil and so much fear. Practically the whole world, Lord, one way or other is gripped with situations which are out of the hands of mere mortals. But we, your people, know you are always in control. You are sovereign. We put our trust in you this morning. And we will be still and we will look to you, Father. We pray, Spirit of God, you touch our hearts, our minds, that we may hear hear clearly what you are telling us. That we may be rooted in that word you have spoken to us. Speak, Father, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 25 and verses 1 to 13. We will read first Matthew 25 verses 1 to 13. Remember all the parables of Jesus Christ. I think almost everything has got to do with the kingdom of God. It's got to do with his kingdom, how it will be established, how the people will get saved, and how people need those who get saved need to prepare and wait for his second coming. And all the parables are called, are connected with the kingdom of God. So again, he begins here by saying, then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at the midnight, a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all the virgins arose, trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourself. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. And afterward the virgins came also, and the Lord, Lord, and saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. And then again, the next one is also the kingdom of heaven. The parables of Jesus Christ. We've been looking at the Spirit of God and we've been looking at, please always remember our confusion within the church, our doctrinal fights, which ends up sometimes fist fights and splits, is often over the Holy Spirit, over the interpretation of the Word of God, which is not given to in private, it is given to the Spirit of God. And we also saw, we've been looking at one of the primary things that will enable us to endure till the very end when the Lord comes. And we're looking at things happening all around the world, 
all around the world we are seeing. It's People are really tense and people are really, really panicking and they do not know what to do. And nobody knows how things will play out. Things will play out. And this is exactly what Jesus said. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. All the props. See, we want peace without the Prince of Peace. We want reconciliation between races without the cross. These things, none of these things, what people are talking about, is going to happen without Christ. Without Christ. And the problem is, it is at a time like this, when you will see both white pastors and black pastors are primarily cowards. They don't stand up and call it by what it is. There is a righteous indignation over an event that took place. And there are peaceful protesters, both black and whites, coming out. And churches, after the damage is done, coming out, repairing, cleaning. And then there are these looters. They have come. They are evil. They are motivated only by evil. They are not motivated by any cause, righteous or not. And you need to stand up and say, that is it. And you cannot egg them on. You cannot feed evil. You cannot. It is. It never will work in any society that if you feed, try to be tolerant with evil, it will only grow stronger. Okay, that's why the law was given. The law was given primarily in the society to restrain evil. And the law always have to have teeth. Law without teeth is pointless. Law without teeth. That is why punishments were there in the law. Very severe punishments were in the law when the law was broken in the society. So when the law does not have teeth, always the criminals will take over. And a very peaceful, righteous movement will be taken over by the criminals. And they will take over. And the problem as you anchor, if you look at most of the people who are, who are looting, are young people. What are you telling them? That it's okay? It's okay? That it's okay to steal, it's okay to loot. It is, uh, you know, the slogans they were doing it in the areas in California. Eat the rich. And these are a generation. Honestly, I'm telling you, these are a generation that have never contributed anything to the society except chaos. They have never contributed. Their father, fathers did. Their forefathers did. They worked hard. They contributed to the society. This is a generation of young people in the West who are growing up on what is called totally entitlement mentality. Okay? That they're entitled to all this. Okay? And the church can't keep quiet. But we as pastors, our job is to tell there will be peace, maybe restored. It will get only worse as times go by. And our job as servants of God is to stand up and speak in the time of evil because the worst thing you can do in the time of evil is to keep quiet and thinking that it will not happen to us. It will happen to us. So our job is to primarily not prepare people physically, but prepare people spiritually. Because physically, ultimately, the end will come one way or other. It will come violent or peaceful, but the end will come. But spiritually, everybody needs to be prepared. And Jesus was preparing his disciples and all of us spiritually. Because his end also was violent. Very, very violent end. The Son of God, the Son of Man went through. But if you look at him dying, he was absolutely, totally, spiritually Prepare to face his end. And he didn't die like a coward. He died like a soldier. And he died like the son of God. In peace, 
in forgiveness and yet without fear. And that's the job. And that's what Jesus is preparing his people for. He's always preparing. And one of the things we saw is about the power side of the Holy Spirit and the person of the Holy Spirit. One is the gift and the other is the person, the fruit. And the first fruit of the Holy Spirit is is love. And one of the nature of love is love is patient. Love is patient. One of the most difficult characteristics of patience, especially if you have ever been a parent with little children, is called waiting. Oh, to get kids to wait for something that is exciting. And to wait, and to wait, and to wait, while nothing is happening. And wait until something happens. Wait, wait, wait. Waiting can be a very, very difficult thing. Very, very difficult thing. But you know, at the end of it all, God calls us and asks us to wait. And not to wait doing nothing. To wait, to watch, and to work. In Ephesians chapter 5, Pastor Vijay was touching on it yesterday, I think. 15 and 16. See then you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. The days are <laughs> really evil. And God says in these evil days, everybody has been given only a slice of time. And all of us, we do not realize we are fighting time. We are fighting against. Time is not our friend. Time is our enemy. Enemy in the sense, it's only your friend if you redeem your time. But time is ticking away, ticking away. Today we started eight minutes late. Eight minutes went out. Okay? It will not say there's a technical error. Please stop. You can stop the watch, but you cannot stop time. <laughs> and now what has happened is all of us have electronic uh, stuff and all the time is connected. So even if you stop your watch, this still keeps moving. <laughs> okay? Like, you can slow down your clock. No, so I want to sleep 10 minutes extra. But you're not sleeping 10 minutes extra. <laughs> People could be waiting for so many things. Breakthrough, job, marriage, married people for children, so many things. And often we have all the faith we can pump up, pray relentlessly, Get the whole church to pray and nothing seems to be moving. Because nothing moves until God moves. Even the heroes of faith, Revelation, sorry, Hebrews 11, verses 1 onwards all the way to 39. 39 finally says, all of them, incredible men and women of God, verse 39 says, and all this having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive. Still waiting. Still waiting. Okay. This is an unremovable part of the character God formed. You have to wait. I have my time. And you have to wait. They are all waiting. Did not receive the promise. They are waiting. There are almost everything in life Everything in life, we have to wait. And there is no certainty it may happen. 
you may wish for a great job. It may never happen in your life. A pastor may wait. Master may wait for a really praying church. It may never happen in his lifetime. He may pray for one Sunday where the entire congregation is sitting on the edge of the chair and not sleeping. It may never happen in his lifetime. There's so many things, so many people wait. You may wait for the perfect person to come across to marry and that person never turns up. Or you may wait for a lot of women in the Bible we see married for years and years and years and years. How many years were Abraham and Sarah married before Isaac came? We don't know. 25 in the promised land. Before that, 10, 35 years marriage. It had to take a supernatural intervention of God for his purpose, not for his purpose. For God's purpose and not Abraham's purpose. So you have seen this waiting, waiting, waiting. And there is nothing certain in this waiting. You can Sometimes you can claim all the promises connected with your issue, confess it, proclaim it, shout it from the rooftops and nothing happens. But there's only one thing that is certain. 100% certain. That is Christ will come back. That there's certainty in everybody's life. Even death is not certain for the people who are living in the last days. But you know what is certain? Christ will come back. It's absolutely clear. And all that Holy Spirit is trying to do is prepare us for him. That is the primary focus of the Holy Spirit's work within the body of Christ. Prepare, prepare, prepare for my son's coming. In John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3, this is a certainty from his own mouth. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. All the people who are troubled, this is what he's telling us even now. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, that you may also be. Absolutely certain. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 11, when Jesus ascended up from earth, and they were looking up. The angels came and told them, Hey, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will also come in like manner as you saw him going into heaven. So you have the Son of God's testimony. You have the angelic testimony. And then if you go to First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 to 3, we have the confirmation of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles, by concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Okay, that's enough. So we have it all. It will come. You don't have to worry about it, he says. It will come. Our job is that we don't know when it will come. That's one clue he did not give. I mean, the definite time. He has given a whole set of signs, but exact hour, nobody knows. So in this parable, Matthew 25, in this parable, if you look at it, the parable, the actual core of the parable, it was all about the time. And therefore it should appeal specifically to those who live during the end days. And every age they thought 
they were living in the end days. Okay, that's why. But the signs have become clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer. But nobody is sure. A day can be a thousand years. A thousand years can be a day. He could come next year. He could come hundred years from now. Nobody has any clue because the bridegroom is delayed. Who delayed the bridegroom? The bridegroom's father. Okay, so it can be. We don't know. Our generation looks and says, wow, the signs are so clear. <laughs> 15 years from there, this is, you hardly saw anything. We saw it so much clearer. Okay, so we have to be very, very clear. But it's God about the time. And if you go to verse 1, there are two groups here. The kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins. So both groups are called virgins. There are two groups there. We'll see in verse 2, there are two groups. But if you look, there is more common about all of them than differences. It's a danger. So this is absolutely being spoken to people within the church. Within the church. I won't even say kingdom. I will say within the four walls of a church. Any church, any denomination. It's absolutely, if you look at it, tuck, 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 if go further, this seems to be the same. Okay. Both are called virgins. And now we know from a close reading of scripture, and if you allow scripture to interpret scripture, I, I, I would stick always to that. I don't want to go into the Jewish tradition of the wedding and how it, I mean, why should I, why I don't want to know about all that. I'm not a Jew. I'm a Gentile who was saved by grace. And I have been given one book here, and I look at the book, and I look at the 66 books over there, and I would like that book to interpret it, it for myself. The rest is all additional knowledge. But if that was needed, then God would have given us many commentaries along with the word. He didn't give it. You know, So as far as possible, if you do not have no much extra biblical knowledge and all that, it's perfectly fine. All my dear brethren who came to the Lord recently, it's fine. This book will explain it by itself. So when you look at that term, we allow scripture to interpret scripture. We know the term virgin is used in a physical level with the body, but spiritually in the Bible, it is used with those who allowed the Holy Spirit to sanctify them. Primarily from the influence of the world. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. So all ten were virgins. They had received the message of sanctification in the church. In Revelation 14.4, okay, they are called virgins, they are called bridesmaids, but we know very well these are not women. They are talk, God is talking about, this is talking about the church, which has both male and female members. And in 14.4, when we have a picture of those who overcame and who will be with the lamp wherever he goes at the end. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. So here the virgins are men. <laughs> Typically, if you want a literal reading, there the virgins are women. Here the virgins are men. So we know he's not talking about either men or women. He's talking about a church. Okay, so it says these are the ones to follow, meaning they did not defile themselves with women. There the women did not defile themselves with men. Here the men did not defile themselves with the women. So it is not either talking about men and women or women and men. It is talking about doctrine. Doctrine. Corrupting influences. The book of Proverbs, we can read it either literally or we can look at it as things that corrupt 
because you can you can be easily be sanctified for the defilement of the body than or the defilement of the soul defilement of the soul that is what is very very difficult the defilement of the soul is what is it's so difficult because it gets in it permeates into our thinking our unconscious so the bible is talking here about not something about anything that is physical in second corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2 if i'm right paul through the holy spirit will say i am jealous for i am jealous for you with a godly jealousy for I have betrothed you to one husband that I might present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So now we know what this whole, that's what I said. We don't have to go outside the Bible as far as possible. When we have too many meetings and too much time on the time for entertainment, we can add extra biblical stuff, but be very careful. It agrees with the Bible and not agrees with your flesh. Okay. So, I want to present you, he's telling the Corinthian church as a chair. Now, if you look at the Corinthian church, it's a, it's a kaput church. It's a cuckoo church, if you read First Corinthians. They are all kind of crazy stuff happening over there. Everything that is in the world is happening inside the church. But even with that church, he says, you know what? I, I want to present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So the thing is that we come to the kingdom of God like Gomer. But we are presented to Christ if we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us as a Rebecca to Isaac. It's the other way. We come as Gomer. We all come as prostitutes who prostituted themselves, their minds, their souls with the world. But the Holy Spirit saves us from the world and then he sanctifies us, sanctifies us, sanctifies us, sanctifies us. And one day, if you allow him to finish the work in us, will present us as a chaste virgin like Rebecca. So everything is both spiritual and not so much as physical. In Genesis 24 verse 16, we have that one line that describes Rebecca when she comes out. Now the young woman was very beautiful and they don't jump at it because Jesus is not looking at physical beauty. Here Eliezer was looking at the physical beauty, but he was looking at first Peter, the spiritual beauty of the church, meek and a quiet spirit. And she was a virgin. No man had known her. So here spiritually, this church or the church of Christ, all the world put together has one church which has allowed this work to be done, has become a chaste virgin. There is no influence of Babylon in her at all. Absolutely. That church can tell what Jesus said. The, the ruler of this world has come and has found nothing in me. Absolutely nothing in me. Nothing in my mind, nothing in my spirit. Okay? And that is the bride and the spirit who will say, come. And the bride will give us a secret. How did she reach that point? Because she drank freely of the spirit that was given. So in this parable, okay, in this parable, in Matthew 25, we are coming in so many ways. Division is taking place within the unseen body of Christ. We have, if you want to use an imagery from the book of Judges, we are coming to Gideon's 300. In so many places, God will show us how the division or the sifting takes place. Because there is a constant division and separation that is being done by the Holy Spirit within the body of His Son, unseen and unknown to the entire creation. 
Entire creation. That's why the whole of creation groans for the sons of God to be revealed. Because even they have no clue what's happening inside us. Only the Holy Spirit knows. Because even at that final moments of human history, ten of them look the same. They look the same. Nobody knows. No pastor knows. No preacher knows. No prophet knows. No apostle knows. Not even the angels know. Only the Holy Spirit knows. That's why I said if you look, if you look at that group, they look identical because they were likened to ten virgins. And what is that? They were all virgins. They believed in the doctrine of sanctification. That's the most difficult thing to get people to believe in a church. They believe in justification, they believe in glorification. In between this long road called sanctification, it is so difficult to get ourselves believe in that. That God really, really, really means it. That is so serious about it. I mean, do you realize how much we struggle with the, we don't struggle with justification. Oh God, thank you Lord, thank you, I am not saved by my works, by your works, hallelujah Lord. Oh, I will have glory, oh my God, I will rule with him, reign with me, love it. But in between with this long road called sanctification, Everybody fights that. We struggle with that. And these ten came through that road. Okay, at least outwardly they came through that road. If you look at verse 1, they all had lambs. Meaning they were very good with the word of God. Very good with the word of God. They all had lambs. So let us use the word to Interpret the word. Psalm 119, verse 105, my ancient Bible. I think this is 28 years old, my Bible I'm carrying. And the first words I wrote in it is this words. Psalm 119, 105 on the front page. What does it say? 119, 105. Yeah. The longer psalm. Your word is say, uh-oh. Technical. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. What is your word? What is a lamp? It's a word. Meaning they had the word. They had the word. They were pretty good with the word. So all ten of them had the lamp. All of them had the word. And it doesn't matter what word it is. KJV and KJV, we don't know. But they had the word. And if you look at verse 30 of that same psalm, I have chosen the way of your truth. Your judgments I have laid before me. They made a choice. They made a choice. All ten of them made a choice. Typically, they might have attended every Bible study they could. Possibly. They had headphones on and they were listening to messages while going to work. Or at home. I mean, that's a fantastic thing. People are shutting out, the, literally shutting out the sounds of the world. And listening to the word of God, voice of God, worship or song or preaching or whatever. In Colossians 3.16, the Bible tells about, about the word, the importance of the word. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it dwell in you richly. In all wisdom, teaching, admonishing, one other, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the... See, what the problem is, we sing songs... And we entertain ourselves. Our songs don't admonish us. 
Our songs don't admonish us. Okay, but when the Spirit of God sings through us, even the songs we sing start, we, we stop. We stop because we realize we cannot sing this song. I, I cannot sing these songs because it's not real. My lips are sounding the right words, but my heart condemns me. So, Lord, I will not sing. All to Jesus, I surrender. Really? I haven't. I struggle. That's the truth. We struggle. So when we sing that song, I, all to Jesus, I surrender, that song admonishes us. It admonishes us. It says, you know what? Have you really surrendered? And it's a very gentle voice. It says, have you surrendered? I think the Lord says, no, do you know this area, this area, this area, this area used to, I like the song, the Holy Spirit says. Now I want you, your life, if you, if you really surrender, I will see your life matches that song. Okay, so the word of God is dwelling richly in them. In Job 23 and verse 12, the most righteous man of his generation, certified by God. Job is the one who got a quality certification from God. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. He was born before Moses, so I don't know where he got the word from, but he heard. He was a praying man, not just a praying man in a monologue, he's a praying man with a dialogue. He heard from God, understood the ways of God, understood the character of God, and he said, everything that I have heard from your spirit, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. So he had an ongoing living relationship with the word of God. He heard from God. So these ten had come through the word test. That come through the word test. In Joshua 1.8, God says, meditate upon my word day and night. These ten were virgins with the lamb. Okay, because no word, spirit of God cannot work. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Absolutely. They had the lamb. 2 Timothy 2.15 and then 3.15 to 17. These ten virgins with the lamp. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. They were good workers. They worked hard with the word of God. Not only in studying, not only in reading or memorizing, in studying and allowing the interpretation to be right. So they were hard workers. And in 3 verses 15 to 17, the Bible says, And from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So if you look at the lamp, and how the word of God is compared to the lamp. And the Bible says there were ten virgins and they all had lamps. And if you t- go back to Matthew 25. Matthew 25. The kingdom of God. So they took their lamps. And what did they do? All of them went out. Yeah, verse 1. All of them went out to meet the bridegroom. So they all also had the same expectation of meeting the bridegroom. Fantastic. Fantastic. A lot of people don't have that expectation at all. They don't attend church regularly. They don't have that expectation. All ten of them had the expectation of meeting the bridegroom. So they're pretty good. 
pretty good. Pretty good. Now, if you go to verse 4, you will see the wise, uh, no, not, uh, uh, yeah. Let, let's, uh, go in order. Or let me, let me find it for you so you can give you which verse it is. Verse 5, verse 5, not 4, verse 5. While the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. They all slumbered. They all slept. It does not say five of the wise were awake and five of the foolish slumbered. No. Meaning, there were times all of them goofed up spiritually. They missed. Let us put in simple terms, we understand. The, the foolish and the wise missed a worship service. They forgot to do their daily devotions. There were times when they were not there fasting or praying, when they should have. So they all made their mistakes. So it was not only five of the foolish made, the five of the wise too. Like all the apostles slept. Not Peter alone, though Peter was picked up because he was forewarned, so he was picked up by Jesus. Hey, Peter, can't you stay up? But all of them slept. The wise ones also slept, the foolish ones also slept. Sometimes you see the wise ones also have allowed their gift to go to sleep. Timothy, Timothy, you're a wise one, you're a smart one, you're a chosen one. You're not just a called one, you're a chosen one, but you've allowed their gift to go to sleep. Wake it up. Fan it back. So you will see, even in this factor, they were the same. All of them slept. Because the, they fell asleep waiting. They all waited. So there was no issue with them waiting. It's not that they did not wait. The issue is on the other side. The bridegroom delayed. And they all slept. Then, if you see verse 6, a midnight cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. So what does it mean? It means they all heard. <laughs> it gets more scary, right? <laughs> but we don't have to be scared. So they all heard. Meaning, these ten of them were very well versed in the teachings of the end times. There are many churches which doesn't teach on end times at all. All the teaching is about the world. It's not about the end times. So these ones were very, very well tuned with the teachings of the end times. In First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 4 to 5. You brethren are not in darkness, so this day should not overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of the night or of darkness. So they knew about all these things. They pursued the right things of life. Come out of Babylon. Watch. Pray. Prepare for the end times. Read the signs. See, they were very good with the word. If you're not very good with the word, you cannot prepare for the last days. So they all had lines. If you look at verse 7, Matthew 25, verse 7. Then all those virgins arose. That means <coughs> they all woke up from their spiritual slumber. You can't say only five of them woke up. Awake or sleeper. They all woke up. 
Let us not say only five of them woke up. The wise ones woke up and the lazy ones, the foolish ones kept sleeping. No, it says they all woke up. They woke up from their spiritual slumber. So, First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6 and 8. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. So they are all awake. They all woke up. If you go back to verse 7. They all arose and trimmed their lamps. Scripture doesn't say only the wise one trimmed their lamps. It says all of them trimmed their lamps. So it seems like they were all getting ready to meet the bridegroom. Till there, everything seems to be safe. Two believers, outwardly, maybe even inwardly, we don't know. Everything looks the same, almost. Yet Jesus designates five as foolish and five as wise. Five unwise, five wise. So what was the issue? What was the issue? While they were getting ready to go meet the bridegroom, they realized they did not have oil in their lamps. That's when they realized they did not have oil in their lamps. And we all know what the oil represents. We know the oil in the lamp is the Holy Spirit. Kiske saath mukabala? With the Holy Spirit. Where did they goof off? With the Holy Spirit. That is where the trouble happened. That is where they goofed up. Now let us come back to the lamp. Because the oil is in the lamp, right? <laughs> the oil is not outside. The oil is in the lamp. When they took the lamp and they realized, Are they? no oil. Psalm 119 and 105, we read, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my lamp. Now we have to look at the new covenant reality. The scripture says, Your word is a lamp to my feet. And it says, If I hold a torch like this, can I see? You have to switch it on. Then only it works. Then only it works. Otherwise it does not work. There is a lamp. Right? There is a lamp. And there is a light. If scripture says, your word is a lamp to my feet, then it is easy. But that's not what it says. The word has to become light. The word has to become light. Then only to illuminate my path. The word in itself without becoming light does not illuminate my path. So in John chapter 1 and verse 4, the new covenant turns it completely different when the Spirit of God comes. In Him, who is that? Jesus Christ. In Him was life and the life was the light of men. Life was the light of men. Okay. So now suddenly we realize, what is light? It is life. 
the life of God is the light of man. Which we look at the life and we imitate that life. That's why we say you look at children, they always imitate the parents. Can we pull the curtain? The light is coming right into my eyes from the windshield. I know. What is light? It is life. Now go to John chapter 5 and verse 35. John 5 and verse 35. He was the burning and shining lamp. And you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. John's life was a light. It was a burning and a shining lamp. Okay. He was. I mean, nobody had any answer to not only his words, to his life. That's what Jesus said. Why did you go to the desert to see, not to hear? The problem with the Pharisees is that you could only hear, you couldn't see. Because there was no light in them. Their life was not a light. So on the Baptist, on the other hand, his words and his life was a light. It's life. Simple man. Absolutely simple. He said, if you have two quotes, give one. He had only one quote. If he had a second one, he had given it away. Okay. Jones Life was light. And what gave that light off? It was John's attachment to God. He was spiritual, spiritually connected to the Spirit of God. And that gave the light. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16, Jesus again. We look at Jesus' exposition of light. That's the best. You are the light of the world. Now we are talking about the life of Christ in us. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. It was as simple as that. Why is America in turmoil? It's because the church was called to be the light. There was not supposed to be no division in Christ Jesus. There's no white, there's no black, there's no brown, there's no colors in Christ Jesus. The church was supposed to be the light. And it's from the church. At, at the end of the day, they call themselves a Christian nation. At the end of the day, the people who work in the police and the fire department and every company, they go to church. At least one time, the majority, the huge majority went to church. So the cops should have known how to deal with people. Everybody should have had the same light. What happened to your light? What happened to your light? You know, what happened to your light? That's the problem. What happened to your light? It's not my job to question how God leads people. But my thing is that David Wilkerson was an incredible man who started a church in Times Square. Then from Canada, the Lord spoke to him and brought uh, Pastor Carter Collin. And then now you have Tim Dillon. But I see so many black senior pastors over there. Why didn't one of them become the senior pastor? Why? Why not? And some of them, one of them is blind. They're brilliant. I mean, if it's a supernatural move of God, it's none of my business. But I'm saying, <laughs> you see, I have issues with churches because I am colorblind. I'm colorblind. I'm colorblind. And sometimes I have issues because, you know, certain things, you know, 
Or at least you should have said, this is senior associate. Senior associate. Because you are put right there in the middle of this junk that is happening. Right there in the middle of New York called Times Square. And you need to say that there's no division of color in my midst. We are all the same. We are all the same. We are all the same. Because the problem is, the church is supposed to be the light. When the church refuses to be light in a Christian nation, the devil will bring what is called false light. And what the devil brings in false light is he will take everything of God out and try to bring a false unity and false light. That's how the liberals are marching. But on the same way, they want freedom to do everything that is called an abomination to God. And he will unite people over good and evil. Our God unites us with good only and never evil. Now the liberal cause has come over and they will unite you with good. So they are all marching for racial discrimination should end. Also we will say march for uh, abortion rights. We will also march for gay rights. You see it's all become rights. They mix good and evil. You know why? The church failed. Church failed. Church failed. You know why the church failed? Because the Holy Spirit left. Holy Spirit will not mollycoddle these kind of things because the scripture is very clear. There is no Greek, no Jew, no free man, no slave, no male, no female, nothing like in Christ Jesus. Absolutely nothing like that in Christ Jesus. We are one body. If God could bring the Gentiles and the Jews and make them into one body, Paul could stand up and rebuke Peter right in the front of the Jewish believers, that what you are doing is bringing division into the body of Christ. You think it's easier for a white man and a black man to walk together or a Jew and a Gentile to eat together? They have never done it in their entire generations. Impossible. They won't even enter into their houses. And he told it very clearly to Cornelius. God had to show him that vision three times. Through an angel, through a vision and through the Holy Spirit before he would go. After getting saved. And God bridged that gap. And what God put together. Who are we to divide? Who are we to divide? Who are to divide? And it is a job church to come back up again and say hang on. We are one body in Christ. There will be no divisions. And churches should get out onto the streets when things calm down and all the churches should come out, black and white and brown and Hispanic, come together and clean up the streets. Bring up the money, put out the money and all the poor ones, not the big ones, the Louis Vuitton and the Vogue, let that go. Who cares about those ones? They are, they will, they are the ones who will fund them. I'm telling you all the multimillionaire, billionaire companies who will show you all the showing, they looted. I'm telling you, they all support the Democrats. So they are not bothered about the looting taking place. But the poor fellows who build their entire life on a small little shop and all, get collections, build it up. Say, we are the church. Build it up. We are the church. That's what the church does. We can't do it here in India. Because even if we try to give a bag of rice, some party will come and put the sticker on it and give it. Because this is a predominantly Gentile nation. And we are a tiny minority over here. So we have to fight under all kind of restraints. US is not. US is not. The church has to rise at a time and prove to the world, you know what? We are one. We are one. That's how God brings good out of evil. 
And redemption comes in the midst of chaos. Rise up and say, and all the Christians in all the other nations, well-to-do nations will say that, you know, we will help build your nation up because you are the country for us till today, a city on the hill. And you go down, we all go down together. It's one body. You go down, we all go down. So we all have a stake in it. In you standing there because our freedoms are connected to your freedoms too. And we will stand. And we will never forget your legacy. People may talk about all other legacies. But I have gone into places in, in India where nobody knows. And you look at the tombstones and you will see this man and his family came 200 years from the U.S., lived and died among these tribals. They are buried all over India. And we will not forget their legacies. If they had not come, we would have died in our sins. So we have a stake in them because we are one body of Christ undivided by space or time. So we don't see black or white. We don't see brown or we don't see anything. So when we see the protesters in Hong Kong getting beaten up, we rise up in prayer because most of them are Christians. Protesting peacefully. They are Christians. Because of those 300 years of British rule, most of them are Christians. And the Chinese government wants to crack them down and take them to the mainland and put them in the camps if they can. That's why they're cracking them down. And why are they standing up for freedom? Because they're Christians. Most of them are Christians. So we need to realize everywhere we got a stake. This is the body of Christ. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. Those who are in prison, those who are free, be chained with them be chained. And we are chained and we understand and we look at those things but the church cannot hide behind all these divisions. The church has to rise up and so we are all complicit in it. We are all complicit in it as a church. you know. And that's what God says. I will heal the land. Will you, will you confess your sins as a church? So you will see there this is what is happening over there. That's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5 verse 14 to 16. He's saying you are the light of this world. What happened to that light? Nor do they light a lamb and put it under a basket. Under a basket, but on a lamp stand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Who are in the house. And the scene was terrible. And you cannot see it as a white and a black scene. You have to see it as a, it's, it's a crime. You're putting your knee on the neck of a poor man who's gasping for breath and says, I can't breathe. And they actually timed it eight minutes. And by the time it takes in the other officers are telling, do it and they're not stopping. Nobody goes over and pushes that man off. And he dies like that. And that's the police brutality we see. The police also have to be tra- trained. Okay, But there's issues on every side. But what is the answer? The answer is not training. The answer is the gospel. I'm telling you, the church failed, not the system. The church failed. Because compassion comes from the church. Redemption comes through the church. Righteousness comes from the church. The church is the city on the wall. If you look at America, what's the reason for America's collapse? It's not the government. It's not the system. It's not the universities. It is the church. Prayer was taken out of the schools. You know that? And everybody will trace back and says that is where the, the fall of America began. Okay, so there was this huge group of Christians protesting this thing over there, saying that we want prayers to come back. We want prayers to come back. So one of the senior persons over there stopped them, stilled them and said, how many of you want prayers to be restored in the schools? They all put their hands up. He said, let me ask you a question. How many of you pray regularly in your house? Nobody put their hands up. 
So you, you want prayers to be restored in your schools when you don't pray in your homes. So that is civil right. What about spiritual rights? The Holy Spirit has no place in your lives or in your homes, but you want it in the country. And God is not going to put up with this kind of hypocrisy. That's what I'm saying. Outwardly, they all look the same. Inwardly, they are different. Before God can restore prayer in the schools of America, he has to restore prayer in the homes of America, in the lives of America. That is where it begins. The unit God has put in the world is not the school. It is the home. And when homes fail, everything fails. Everything fails. So when God restores, he restores with the individual and the home. And you look at all those kids, black and white, running around, looting. I mean, kind of crazy stuff is happening. Promising you, go check those kids out. I'm telling you, nine out of ten come from single parent homes. No idea like that? Because they have no mentors. They have no fathers in their life. And they run wild. They have no mentors. Who show them the way? No mentors. And if the father is in prison, it's the job of the church to take over. Right? Because it's a Christian nation. They are not Buddhists or Hindus or Muslims. <laughs> they all come from Christian neighborhoods. Okay? Instead of becoming a Christian neighborhood, it has become a hood. They should have been together and taught and pray and watch and help them through so that the orphan spirit is taken out and they grow up. They grow up. And we have so many wonderful stories of that. Pastors and men who did well, who all came from single homes because the church stood by, the mothers stood took over and they disciplined and brought it through. Brought it through. I, I still remember, I forgot the man's name. He says, I still remember. His father was in prison and his mother worked as a, like our, our terms, Aya, by housemaid. But she was very tough with the kid and he said, you have to, you have to study well. You will not go the way of your father. You will make something out of yourself. He said for every time the term purpose came and he used to be always scared. She had this tough voice. And he will, she will pick up on the questions and says, why did you go wrong here? Why did you go? You need to do wrong. You do right, do right, do right, do right, do right. And he pumped him up and he did really well. He said, until I passed my 10th grade, I did not know my mother couldn't read or write. She just went by the color of the ink. Pardon who? Okay, Ben Carson. She could not read. There were so many like that, tough mothers. They couldn't read, but they could identify by a red mark or a even wrong over here. And they shaped the lives of their children. And that's what God is talking about. We don't talk these things about India because this is not a Christian nation. We talk this about America. America is, that's what they call the city on the wall. City on the hill. And when that nation goes down, we, f- we feel, we feel sad. Because it strikes a chord in us. The last Christian nation left on planet Earth. One more nation, one left. No, like it's like Israel going down. <laughs> no, and Israel went down. All the Jews grieved. Everyone grieved. And you see, they have no songs to sing in Babylon because the heart is connected in the same way. Of course, there is U.S. No, so that's what he's talking about. He says here. They don't light the lamp and put it under a basket on a lampstand and gives light to all who are in the house. And verse 16, 
Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's what. Instead of building these mega structures with billion, millions and millions, then pumping the people for more millions. Okay, everything is shut down. Your mega structures are shut down. Okay. Instead of that, now take the money, put the money, build up lives and homes of all that has been destroyed. And take care of these kids. Like David Wilkerson's entire ministry began from there. He went into the ghettos. And that's how Nikikurus came out. He changed the landscape of so many areas where nobody would go. Nobody would go. He went in. He was sent by God into those places. And he went in. And he went with the love of God and the compassion of God and the boldness of God. And he changed neighborhoods. You know. Now it's not one David Wilkerson. We need a thousand David Wilkerson's to arise. You know. So there was something consistent what God is talking about. He's using a lamp. He's talking about life. He says, your life should consistently give out light. And only my Holy Spirit can do that. You may have the most beautiful lamp, nicely clean, wonderful wick, but if the oil is missing, the lamp will go out. The lamp will go out. That's why I said the Old Testament talks about the acts of faith. The new covenant is all about life of faith. And when we walk that life of faith, the life of Christ Jesus starts flowing more and more and more people. Like more, like yesterday before the rain, all the insects were coming to the light. Okay? But they're not getting burned. They're attracted by the light, not by the fire. They're attracted by the light. The light is attracting them. And Jesus said, that's what he said. My life will attract the people who are perishing. So the five foolish virgins had their lamps. But at the crucial hour, they found, at the crucial hour, they discovered they had no oil. They had not maintained that close, life-giving relationship with the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul is trying to tell us in Ephesians 5 and verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine in which there is dissipation. Don't get just carried away by this world. The world can make you drunk. She's holding a golden cup. The cup is golden. Wow. Beautiful. Cup is golden. Inside... Wine that intoxicates you. Intoxicates you. Intoxicates. What the world offers, if you are not wise, if it is not the life of Christ, that is it. it can intoxicate you. Who doesn't want prosperity? Who doesn't want to believe and claim that you can have five cars? And can become the CEO of the company without education or the qualification? Who doesn't want the pink of health and eat whatever you want? Name it. Look at that cup. Says, don't be drunk with wine. In which is dissipation. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Meaning, it is continuous. Be continuously be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ongoing walk. 
If you go to Matthew 25, verse 6. When did they discover it? They discovered it at the midnight hour. What is the midnight hour? The midnight hour is when darkness it is highest. We are seeing darkness in 2020 like we, I never saw in my lifetime. That's when they discovered there is no oil. Now the darkest hour when the cry comes does not mean he's coming in the next hour. It is in the darkest hour you should be able to see most clearly if you're walking with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the darker it gets, the better the light shines. Jesus said, when these things happen. These are signs. These are signs. He didn't say, when these signs happen, I'm coming immediately. He says, I am close. I am close. I'm not right there. We don't know how many, because we don't know God's timing, how he is calculating. If one day can be a thousand years, then all our calculation of timing has gone out of the window. We can do all our eschatology who want, but the Father says, wait, the Son waits. The Holy Spirit waits. Because he's not constrained by any of those things. So we have no clue. The signs are given. Whole set of signs in all the Gospels. He talks about the signs, the signs, the signs. And at the core of those signs, whether it's war or ethnic group against ethnic group or racial conflicts or pestilence or locusts or famine or pandemics, at the core of it, what it is, there's an incredible moral and spiritual darkness that is coming upon the earth. And people will start panicking. Anxiety level goes up. Fear level goes up. Scripture says men's heart will fail because of fear. Because of fear. That's what is happening. Everybody is locked up in their high rises. Scared. Scared. Now I want to know what is their logic about taking the guns from the people. Because the only ones who are safe now are the ones with guns. From the rioters. And even black shops or white shops and all, they came with their guns and stood outside their shops so the looters went away. <laughs> so now what excuse will you use to take the guns away? You know why the rioters are not scared? Because the cops are told to stand down. Stand down. Stand down. I don't think even... They're, they're only using pepper sprays. And they're not bothered. Kids are not bothered. In India, do you think it would happen? No, they would be immediately asked to shoot at the legs. The magistrate will give the order. Shoot. Do you think it would have continued like this looting? No way. If they had the kind of authority that is supposed to be with law enforcement and says, get on your knees and shoot them in the legs. Two cities, three cities, rights are over. Peaceful protest will continue. Okay. Because that is what law enforcement is. Because you cannot take my life because somebody else's life was taken away. Protest, you have the right to protest peacefully. That's what we saw in Delhi until the COVID came in Shanbagh. 
men and women and children sitting there. Nobody could, because it was Delhi, nobody could do it. They could, couldn't move them out. They sit there. No violence. They sit there. We will not move out until CAA is taken out. That's the right of a democracy to protest, to protest peacefully. Because somebody, my father told me this when I was young. My father was a smart man till he started going off. He, I remember him telling me, I don't know who told it, who wrote it or what he said. He said, <coughs> It was a rhetorical answer to a question. Where does my freedom end? He says, your freedom begins and ends at the place where your fist touches his nose. That's where it ends. You hit him, your freedom is gone. It stops here. That's how much freedom you have. So your freedom. Now where my freedom ends? The minute I turn violent and use force upon another person for whatever cause, my freedom is gone. That is given only to the state by God. And it was given after the flood. First law given. Any man's life is taken, his life should be given, taken. God institutes that the state has. But courts are there, justice has there, righteousness, all this has to be balanced. But don't expect all these things to happen. Properly now, but semblance should be there. It will happen when Jesus comes. That is why it is a whole sort of unsaved people will be ruling over. Jesus will be ruling over, but he rules with a scepter of iron. There will be no rioting for a thousand years on earth. No rioting. There will be no abuse by police because the saints will be ruling. Nobody will be abused. Nobody will die under in lockup. Nobody will be beaten up under lockup. There will be no need for any of those things. It will be a different dispensation altogether. Jesus will come back and show us how we should have ruled if he had allowed the Holy Spirit. So scripture says the midnight hour. And when darkness increases, it increases moral, spiritual, ethical. Darkness is increasing over the earth. And Jesus had warned us about this in John chapter 9 and verse 4. John 9 and verse 4. In his own days he warned, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. There's a time that will come in the world where the works of righteousness will stop. That's why I'm preaching every day. Because I know the day is soon coming. I don't know how many years are left before this work will stop. So we have to put it out to everybody who is hungry so they can download and keep it, memorize it, study it, walk in it, because a day will come where all the works of light will stop. Nations will change their laws where we will be the outlaws. Night is coming. No one will be able to do the work. And it's coming fast. Look at God has given us a warning. Right? 70 days lockdown. All the work stopped, right? Everything stopped. The only thing that kept us going was the internet. Every other work stopped. And even now it is stopped. It's really not resumed. Everything has stopped in US. Now the governor of Michigan is lifted the restrictions, social this thing, restrictions which was inflation this thing. Because now what's the point? <laughs> All this time when people were saying, take it off, take it off, we need to, she did not. But now everybody is on the roads protesting what? Social distancing. So you know the foolishness of your rule. 
and quietly did it without any this thing. So nobody will know you made a boo-boo. And all the news will report it in the final column. I managed to go through because I screened the news so that it has been lifted. Most of Michigan probably doesn't know it is lifted because everybody is focusing on the rights. So darkness will come and we have to be prepared for that. Remember, before their complete deliverance from the land of Egypt, the land of slavery, the entire nation had to go through three days of Absolute darkness. They had to go through darkness. But there was no work at all. Absolutely no work at all. No work. And you look at that portion in Exodus 10, 21 to 23, because we have to look at those patterns and know what is coming and to be absolutely prepared for these things that will come. Exodus, got it? 10, 21 to 23. And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. Darkness which may even be felt. Can't you feel the darkness? Literally on the street, you're looking at it. I mean, how can people do this? And I look at it and say, my gosh, these kids are younger than my children. Most of them. What's wrong with them? What's wrong with these kids? These are college educated kids. One of the guys who, who is now being indicted, I mean, he's been charged, is from Harvard. Yeah, yeah, lawyer, lawyer. We're attacking the cops. What's wrong with these people? You look at them and say, what is, is this what education is all about? Is that what we slog to pay their fees for? That's what parents are asking. You know what education, how expensive U.S. is? Education in U.S. is. You know what student loan in America right now, the student loan is $1.3 trillion is the entire student debt. And is that what you went into debt for to create a set of children like this? Is that what education is? No, is that what it is? And we look at it and we say, Lord, you can feel the darkness. Literally feel the darkness. That's what he's saying. They did not see one another. Are you able to see one another? They're not able to see. The cops are not able to see one another. You, you see each other by the color of your skin. And the people are, the young people are not able to see. I mean, somebody took a loan, they go, will go bankrupt to build this little shop or in the whatever establishment office. And he was, one guy I remember was supposed to inaugurate it next week after building it with his life savings. The whole thing is burned to the ground. Two old people who protested, two young people vandalizing were beaten with bricks and wooden blocks and a ladder. Two old people. I mean, what's wrong with you kids? What's wrong with you? We see those images. I see those images in India, I forgive them. They don't know Christ. They never heard the gospel. They don't know reconciliation is possible with God. But U.S., Every street there is a church. Every holiday is connected with Christ. Every bill you carry says a nation under God. Every president in US has gone to St. John's Church next to the White House. They burned it yesterday. Not the whole church, they are joining. That's why he walked, walked down to the church and stood before the church with the Bible this morning. I mean, you burned a church? What did the church do to you? 
look at it and you ask, you know what? Because this is a picture that is beaming around the world and everybody will say, our religion is better. At least we don't. Okay, so you did to this place also, places of worship. Want to pull down one and build another in its place. I don't know. What difference does it make? But what I am saying is, God is saying, this darkness that can be felt. And verse 22 and 23 says, So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another. Nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. They did not rise. Nobody can do anything during those days when they will come. God says all you can do is wait. There's nothing you can do. But you should have learned by then how to wait. Everything will cease. Every work will cease. Every work of light will cease. All you can do is wait. All Israel could do was wait. But you know Israel had little light. So one set of people, our entire nation, waited in darkness, having no clue what was going to happen. They had no clue. All their firstborn would die in a few days. They did not know. Almost all the women would become widows in a few days' time when the entire army would be destroyed. They waited in darkness, having no clue what was coming because there was no light in their dwelling places. But Israel waited with light in that darkness without even realizing their redemption was so near. They had no clue. Entirely two different perspectives. But everybody had to wait. And God is saying, how are we? Prepare to wait it out. Wait it out. And the first epistle Paul writes is the epistle to Thessalonians. It is about the last days, the end days, because they were all panicking. They were all panicking in First Thessalonians chapter 1, 8 to 10. The fears connected with the Lord's second coming. And what did he tell them? From, for from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth. Not only in Macedonia and Acacia, also in every place your faith towards God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. He says, your life is vibrant of Christ. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. You are serving God and to wait for his son from heaven. You are not only serving, you are also waiting. A lot of people in the kingdom of God, who are serving without waiting. That is foolishness. That's what happened to the five foolish virgins. They were serving, but they were not waiting. These are two different aspects of a believer's life. You serve while you wait, and you wait while you serve. While you wait. This is written 2,000 years ago about a church that was serving and yet waiting. And that is how every generation was supposed to live. You serve and you wait. You serve and why do you serve? Because hours of darkness will come in your time, Thessalonica, when you will never be able to serve again. But even as you serve, you wait because you do not know which hour he comes. Serve and wait. That's what God is talking to us about. Are you waiting? Because it's a preparation. It's a preparation. God is doing this. We have we have no clue what God is doing. No man knows. No angel knows. <laughs> Remember Judges seven six. And the number of those who lapped, putting their 
hands them out was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. You know, except Joshua, none of those thousand, ten thousand kids, young men there, had no clue that this was a test. They had no test. Only Joshua knew. Sorry, only Gideon knew. They had no clue. Do you know that how that we are being divided at the word? Because the water is the word there for us spiritually. That how we are receiving the word, how we are applying the word, how we are living out the word, a division is taking place and nobody has any clue except Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Nobody has any clue. The first was divided with the world. All who are afraid, go. That is what the world does. I don't want to lose anything in this world. Go. So the world divided the first group. 20,000 went. The word divided the second group. First division was by flesh. Second division was by the word. And nobody knew. Only Gideon knew. God didn't announce. Announced to everybody, this is the way you drink. All the, if you had done, everybody would have drunk the other way. <laughs> no. Only he knew. Said, so you quietly go. Watch them drink. It took a long time. It didn't happen one day or two days. It took a long time to count 10,000 people and find that only 300 are drinking that way. He was watching. That means he must have probably, he can't even tell to anybody else because ultimate number is only 300. So he has to be that one who is standing over and says, come by batch 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 and says, okay, you decide, 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 decide. Ultimately, he counts only 300. That's what God, God is saying. How do we serve? Do we wait? How do we react to events that are happening? How do we react? Has the word taken life in us? Let's read it in NIV, Judges 7 and verse 4. And then we'll go back later to the other verses in NKJV. The Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many people. Take them down to the water. I will sift them for you there. I will sift them for you there. Take them down to the water. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. If I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. Do you know the entire thing was done by God and the Holy Spirit through Gideon? God says that one. This one. That one. That one. I will tell you. I will tell. Otherwise, he wouldn't have no clue. He would have picked the biggest, strongest, tallest, 300 and told them this. 300 only I need. So he will say, all of you stand in rows, all the tall ones stand to this side. That's what God said, I will tell you. God is sifting people out. Sifting people out. This is not to destroy them or anything, but he's sifting people out. That's why this waiting is an important thing. How do we wait? Ten virgins waited. And God said five were foolish in their waiting. They were foolish. In their waiting they were foolish. Isaiah 64 verse 4. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor pursued by the ear, nor has I seen any God besides you, 
who acts for the one which one you have to serve you have to wait Thessalonica your reputation has gone through the believing world how you serve and how you wait for the coming of the lord the lord acts for the one who waits for him he knows who is waiting for him and those who are waiting for him the the reaction to what is happening is different there's a righteous indignation there's also a tinge of excitement it's getting closer it's getting this pain because of labor this excitement because of the baby hebrews 9:28 nkjv let's have nkjv back so christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who don't just wait those who eagerly wait for him he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation how is not coming to judge sin how is going coming to take them he says who eagerly expectantly wait the hebrew the, the jewish orthodox bible talks says uses the word expectantly wait for him while they are serving that's what darkness is doing it's separating people and what is inside is being revealed the problem is the five foolish virgins with good lamps they all had lamps they did not have a living relationship with the holy spirit which means a continuous flow of oil was in there they did not have it john 16 verse 8 When he comes when he has come he will convict the world of sin without that living relationship of the holy spirit we will not have the conviction or the remorse connected with sin on a day to day basis because only he can bring it we will have a intellectual conviction of sin that is isos we may even cry but we are not able to bring about a change because the holy spirit is not moving in real time in real time we are using your terms i learned it from you <laughs> okay it is like our youtube broadcast you are hearing it live they are 30 seconds behind right 30 seconds 30 seconds with the holy spirit can mean an eternity of losing your crown Romans 15:16 and 2 Thessalonians 2:13 that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles ministering the gospel of God the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable sanctified by the he's the one who does Paul can do this much but it's totally unacceptable God unless they are sanctified by the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come he is the one who sanctifies sanctification is the entirely the work of the holy spirit second thessalonians 2:13 for we are bound to give thanks to god always for you brethren beloved by the lord because god from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and the belief in the truth are we getting it 
See, Holy Spirit, who does the work? Can, we can slowly keep grieving, 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 grieving the Holy Spirit, quenching the Holy Spirit, and our lamp is fine. Right? Because we all have the Bible. We attend every meeting. We listen to every preaching. We listen to every good preacher. We are very like the efficient church in the book of Revelation. We have tested all the crooks and out. This is error. This is error. This is error. This is error. But you know what was missing? The living presence of the Holy Spirit was missing. He says, where is your love? You don't have a living relationship with my spirit. You're gone. That is gone. Come back to it. That has become. You're very good in serving. But you're terrible in waiting. Terrible. Very good in serving. But you're not waiting. The waiting part has got to do with that link with the Holy Spirit. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 20 and 21, the prophetic picture of how the Holy Spirit will work. Isaiah 30, 20, 21. 3 zero, yeah. Though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and water of affliction. That's what happened, right? To the whole world. Bread of adversity and water of affliction. Yet your teachers will not be moved into your corner anymore. But your eyes shall see your teachers. He says one thing. Whatever trouble you go through, if you're connected to my spirit, you will always hear my word. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. He says, I will guide you with my spirit. It doesn't matter what adversity you go through. The world may be going further and further into chaos and rioting and darkness and pandemics and economics crashing and all. He says, you don't have to worry. My spirit will guide you to the right, to the left. You will know exactly what path to take because it is the oil that lights the lamp. The lamp in itself cannot be lit without the oil. That's what he's saying. It will be tough times. It will be dark times. Where does our strength come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit because he is the person. He said he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will be with you till the very end. It is exactly this what happened to five of the seven churches. They were not hearing what the Holy Spirit was saying. They were not hearing. Over and over and over in the, the warning in the book of Revelation is listen to my spirit, listen to my spirit, listen to my spirit, listen to my spirit. Because without the spirit, that is the oil, the lamp is useless. The word of God cannot sustain us without the spirit. Without the spirit. First Corinthians 2.14 The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And how many times you see people who began in faith, they become intellectual and they become the natural man. You say, I don't believe anymore. And after that, they are not able to receive anything from the Spirit. There's a carnal man, there's an intellectual man, and there's a spiritual man. The problem is the Holy Spirit speaks only to the spiritual man. And he's trying to make us all spiritual. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. It's foolishness to him. Like in a chaotic situation like that, the spiritual man will hear, be still. I'm in control. The intellectual man will go haywire. The carnal man will flee. 
But spiritual man is still because he heard. Be still. And he comes through. He comes through. How did David win every battle of his? Because he heard. How did he lose his battles? Because he panicked. And went into the Philistine camp. John 14 verse 26. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. He will teach you all things. He will teach you. When he says, you don't worry about the dark days and the dark hours. Don't worry about the bridegroom being late. Just see that you have oil in the lamp. He will teach you all things. Even the things we have forgotten, he will bring it back to your memory. You will know exactly how to use it at the appropriate time. And in 1 John, the same John will say, the anointing will teach us all things. In Ephesians 1.17, Paul will say, give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. In Psalm 119 and verse 18, if I am right. Open my eyes. Not that I may read. We read regularly. That I may see wondrous things from your law, from your word. Help me to see. That's when the word becomes life. Why do people fall away? Because they don't see. That's what vision is. They fall, fall apart. How do, they, how, how do they fall apart? We may think that he's succeeding, but he has fallen apart spiritually. To rise in the world is to fall apart. Unless God is rising you with, with you there. That's why with Joseph's promotions or demotions, is always written God is with him. Because without the Holy Spirit, we will never be able to endure the dark days that will precede the second coming of the Lord. Like Egypt's, Israel's deliverance from Egypt. Before that, there was an incredible period of darkness. Then the light broke and they were out. And Jesus has warned a series of events that will take place. And those are very dark. Very, very dark. All Egypt was dark. And nobody was able to move. And God says, when you see that kind of a situation, remember it is not by might, not by strength. It's by my spirit alone you will come through. The mountain will be moved. Ephesians 3.16 Ephesians 3.16 That he would grant you according to the riches of glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. This is my prayer for you. This is a man who experienced and came through and died as a martyr that you are absolutely strengthened by the spirit in the inner man. Ultimately, that's the only thing that will take you through. And Hebrews 10.25 says this. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. All these are signs of the day approaching. He says, keep meeting, keep meeting, keep meeting, keep meeting. Don't cut down. Gather more. You know why? Because you need to encourage yourself that we are all in the same, same road. I'm hearing correctly. I'm hearing correctly. I'm hearing correctly. So I seven days a week now. 
12 times a week now. We are continuing to minister because many will fall away when that day approaches. How do they fall away? They fall away from the word. They fall away from fellowship. They fall away from prayer. What is left? Nothing. As the day approaches, the Spirit of God keeps warning His children, keep meeting, keep meeting, keep meeting, keep meeting, keep meeting. Encourage one another, encourage one another, encourage one another. Listen, 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 because you have no clue what is coming. But you don't have to be afraid of it all because I have overcome it all, Jesus says. You see, you cannot go to buy oil when it is dark. You have to do it when it is light. There is a time. Go to Matthew 25, verses 10 to 13. And while they went out to buy, the bridegroom came. There was a season. There is a season appointed by God. Oh, now this is the time to study the Bible. But internet is down, meetings are cancelled, and there is no preacher. And you don't know how to read your Bible. There was a time. There was a time God had given you. There was a time the anointing was still flowing through his servants. There was a time the anointing was available for you to learn. Now it is dark. And when they went to buy, you have to buy. Jesus told the Laodicean church, buy from me. You'll have to buy from me. Not salvation. Sanctification, you will have to pay a price. It doesn't come free. Nobody's sanctification comes free. You will have to pay a price. If you are not willing to pay the price, the Holy Spirit cannot sanctify you or me. And God's scripture says, when they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And who went with him? Those who were ready went with him. Five were ready. And the door was shut. Sounds like Noah's case. The door was shut. That's why we talk about the time. Redeem the time. For the days are evil. Redeem the time. Isaiah 55 verse 6. You have to be very careful about time. The time that God has given us. Isaiah 55 verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Tomorrow is not promised. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Ah, seek, knock. Because a time will come and all the asking and all the knocking and all the seeking will be of no avail. The door is shut. We are still living in a time when the door has not been shut. But all the signs are there. The five foolish ones had almost Everything right. Everything right. Everything was right with the five foolish ones. Except one thing. Everything right. They went to get oil for their lamps. There's nothing wrong with that too. Is there anything wrong to get oil for the lamps? Of course no. You should tarry and ask Spirit of God, fill me again. What was wrong then in their life? Timing. They wasted their time. They went to fill oil at the wrong time. 
they did not redeem their time. They kept postponing it. They kept postponing it. They postponing the important things of life are spiritual things. They kept postponing it for temporal needs. It's absolutely the right thing to go to buy oil. Why did the five wise women, virgins have oil? Because they went out and bought it. But they bought it at the right time. Their priorities were absolutely right. That's what went wrong. That's what I say. If you look at these five of them, there was only one thing wrong with the five foolish. What is it? How they utilize their time. Spiritually, they wasted. That's what I said. God gives us all a slice of time. Slice of time. Everybody's given. Three score and ten years. Wow. After that, we are lucky. Seventy-two years after Israel came into being. And that was the beginning of the last days. A generation time, according to the word, is over. Now we are living on borrowed time, two years. But we don't know. I'm just saying, speculating. Not hard, fast doctrine. We don't know how many years we have left. So that should be our prayer. Holy Spirit, let me redeem my time. Let me fill myself with oil when there is still time. We just have to take inventory of our lives and see, of course I can cut life. I can. Life is very easy. Where can I cut my time out? Sleep? Yeah, sleep is only for this life, right? Spirits don't sleep, right? They don't sleep. Why should they sleep? The body is the one tired. When you get a new body, you're not going to sleep. So why should I feed this body? You can manage with less sleep. You want to strategically use time, cut this out. Fellowship is good as long as the fellowship is holy and godly, edifying. Otherwise, fellowship is a waste of time. Let me cut my time out of it. Cut my time out of it. Yes, we need to have fun times. But if you are only going to have fun times, it will be at the cost of time. Time which will be spent to prepare. Prepare. You have to look at all these things and say, Lord, no. Because we do not realize it is creeping in. It's creeping in. It's creeping in. But there's nothing to fear. There's nothing to fear. None of those people who wrote the scripture were afraid. They were not afraid. They understood it. They relied on the Holy Spirit. Allowed the Holy Spirit to change their lives entirely. And they faced life without fear. And I believe all will be crowned. The crown of righteousness. So these are the lessons we learn. And you will see the issue was with the nodding, the prodding, the nudging of the Holy Spirit. It's nudging them. Do this, do this, do this. They were wise. Five of them. They listened. The other five were foolish. And only when the cry came, they realized, I have my word. I have my lamp. I got a little light. But during the time I go from here to the time when he comes, I realize my light will go out. Let me get oil. You suddenly realize in the dark hour, you don't have enough life to withstand this stress. That is the issue that's happening. Withstand the issues. I'm telling you, 
I'm telling people, be very, very careful. Don't put your trust even in riches. I'll tell you, if the government of India comes to such an economic crisis and says, everybody who's got over 20 or 25 lakhs, we are taking your deposits and going to give it to the poor, 99% of India will say, it is right. You will have nobody to stand with you. All those things who have millionaires and all that who think they can live on their money, they have no clue how the population will change because the huge majority of the people in the world don't have money and in the hands of a few people. And even if our prime minister in a crisis were to say he will be lauded as the hero, the man who saved India, nobody will oppose. Every nation. So what are we putting our trust on? <laughs> God says, do you know my church? In the beginning, they put their trust in me and I brought them through. If they died, they died for the right cause. They died for the right cause. They died for me. They did not they put their trust. They had money? That's good. But they did not put their trust in anything. They put their trust in God and God alone. Because the subtle thing is that because money gives us a lot of comfort, that's what socialism is creeping. Why do you think the young ones in California, in those high-end where Hollywood actors and all mass through looting and what were this graffiti, eat the rich? Eat the rich. Okay, please remember, this is what happened in China, Russia, all those places when the communists took over, it was gone. The church had to go underground. Okay, I'm not saying these things will happen. We don't know whether it will not happen either. What I'm saying is don't put your trust in anything. Every prop we have, when God shakes, will fall. Until he's sure that all his true children only have Christ and Christ alone. Then, like I said, we will be truly able to sing in Christ alone. Till then, it's a song. Song. When we realize my entire trust is in you and you alone are God. Nothing else. You give me all these things, but I will not put my trust in it. I'll put my trust in you and you alone. And you will realize, boy, I wish I had done this in the beginning. All I needed was him. All I needed was him. That was the final lesson Jesus gave his disciples. Hey, Peter, John, all of you come over here. How long have you been with me? Three and a half years. Did you leave everything to follow me? Yes, Lord. When I sent you, did you lack anything? Nope. Did anybody hurt, hurt you? Nope. Did you go hungry? Nope. Pick a few swords now. <laughs> Hours of darkness are coming when I will not be with you. I cannot protect you now. We'll have to wait three days. Then I'll come back. For three days, again three days, you will be defenseless. That's the interim period where earth was without the Father, the Son and the Spirit. We are there, but not intervening into anything. Then Jesus will rise and the clock ticks again. Okay, that's what God is saying. What are you afraid of? This is not Dutch courage. This is a real courage. Boldness, courage, all that comes from the Spirit of God and the Word of God. We all need to have our lamps.
shining, nice, trim, everyday trim, everyday the smoking part, cut it off and throw it off, cut it off and throw it off, clean the glass nicely. Let's see that you have oil. Because with all that, if you don't have oil, it's useless. That's why we have to learn to keep pace with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Shall we pray? Father, this morning we just thank you, we just praise you, we just worship you, Lord. I pray, Father, all your children who are hearing here in Hyderabad, any part of India, any other parts of the world, from US to Australia to Middle East, I pray even now, Lord, for surrender, Lord. Because unless we surrender, your spirit will not keep filling us because he is the absolute, total gentleman. He will never do anything in our lives against our will. So I pray we will walk from surrender to surrender with your spirit and your spirit will continuously fill us, O Lord, and we will listen to the nudging, the prodding, the whisper of the Holy Spirit, throw away, put away everything that offends your spirit, Lord. Help us to walk and live in the Spirit, Lord. So that when the midnight hour comes, we are ready. Even if we have slumbered or slept, we will arise, trim our lamps, and we will be ready. And the door will be not, not be closed at our face. The door will be closed behind us. We will be inside with the bridegroom, Lord. I pray, Lord, the Spirit of God will prepare all your people. These are difficult times, dangerous times. But your children in this past 2,000 years have gone through even darker and diabolical days, O oh Lord. This is nothing like the days of Nero. And your church came through. So we do not know when, how, whatever you will come. All we will do is watch, serve, and wait. And wait eagerly. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Commit the church into their hands. I speak healing into every sick body. So many afflicted during this time and it is demonic. But none of them shall die. I speak, Father, your word and I pray they will receive it by faith. That they shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. Serve the Lord and wait eagerly for his coming. I speak deliverance into every soul that is afflicted. That the Spirit of God will flood their soul. Every demonic entity will leave. And I speak your peace. The peace of God will guard the heart, minds of all your children. And they will know God is with them. God is for them. And we will come through this too. In him and through him. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We praise you. We worship you. We glorify you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen.